If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please turn in them with me to the book of Colossians. Today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 4, just five verses beginning in verse 2, and I'll be reading down through verse 6. Now as you, as you make your way over to this passage in, in your Bibles, uh, let me just say a couple of, of things by way of introduction to uh, remind you as to where we are and what we have been doing here at Old Cutler over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, we have been working uh, through a sermon series on the vision of Old Cutler. And, um, and you'll find the vision statement, our new vision statement in the bulletin, this is that section of the bulletin that has our, our order of worship. And just to remind you of what that is, again, our vision statement is that we exist for the glory of God. And through the gospel's transforming power, we become agents of truth, love, and service, making disciples for Jesus in our city and world. And so today, as we continue on in this, in this uh, vision sermon series, we're really going to focus in on and talk a little bit about what does that mean to be agents of truth, love, and service, and what does that mean to make disciples of Jesus. And, and that idea of making disciples, which comes from the Great Commission, where Jesus would say to us, go and make disciples of all nations. We've already talked about discipleship. We've already talked about the importance of growing in Christian maturity and spiritual maturity and learning and so forth. But today we're going to talk about what, what it means to actually call others to be followers of Jesus. So we want to talk more about, about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ today. And, and so to that end, we're going to look at this short passage from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through verse 6. Hear God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And this is God's word. So on January the 6th, 1850, in Clochester, England, there was a, a blizzard that took place. And that, the blizzard was so severe that even though it was a Sunday morning, most people thought that they were, they were not going to be able to get out and make their way to their churches. But there were a group of 12 people that were a part of a primitive Methodist church that met in this town on Artillery Street. And, and they made it to church that day. It was about 12 of them. But when they got there, they realized that even their, their minister was unable to, to get out of, out of his house and come to church. So they didn't, they didn't really know what to do. And then there was this one man in the church, and he, he, he wasn't trained. He didn't have much education. I mean, he could read, but that was pretty much it. Didn't have any theological uh, training or anything like that. He, he, he stood up and decided he would just read a short passage of Scripture and just make a few comments on it, which he, he did. And he made a few comments. It wasn't much, wasn't anything significant, wasn't anything profound about, about Jesus and about his love for Jesus and about the gospel. And then they ended their time, and they went home, and not one of them thought they had done much of any great significance on that particular day when the 12 of them gathered in worship. Except this happened, and they didn't know this. There was a young man, he was 15 years old, and he, he popped into that church that day just simply to get out of the blizzard, okay? And he heard the gospel presented through that, that man who really couldn't speak in any profound way. He heard the gospel and he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That 15-year-old, his name was Charles Spurgeon. And for those of you who, who may know Spurgeon, Spurgeon went on to become one of the great preachers of all time. I mean, he was that kind of powerful preacher of, of the gospel. 
Spurgeon would later write this, and when he, when he writes this, he's, he's writing about, about preachers and to preachers, but it, it's, it's just as applicable to any of us, and, and it has connection to even, even his conversion experience and what happened when that man stood up and spoke. He said, don't hold back because you cannot preach in St. Paul's. Be content to talk to one or two in a cottage. You may cook in small pots as well as in big ones. Little pigeons can carry great messages. Do what you do thoroughly, pray over it heartily, and leave the results to God. I think that is a wonderful reminder to all of us. I think it's a reminder to ministers who are, are just toiling, toiling away in, in small churches that may not be growing, but it's also a reminder to all of us, regardless of, of you know, what, where we may be, the things we think we can do or not do, that God can, can use you. And God wants to use you for his purposes in the world. Now today, as we continue to talk about our, our vision as a church, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about that, that fourth word. On the front of your bulletin, you'll see those keywords that we're using as little tags. They're little hooks for us to help us to think about the, God's purposes for the church. And those are focus. You'll see them on the front of your bulletin, focus and follow and family. And those are the three that we've looked at already as we've talked about worship and discipleship and, and community. Well, today we're going to talk about being fruitful. And, and so today will be the first of two sermons. And next week we'll wrap up this vision sermon series, also coming back and talking about fruitful. But as we talk about fruitful, what we, what we really are getting at is, is what does it mean to see the seed of the gospel planted? And to be planted in us and planted in the hearts of others. And so today we're going to talk about service. Next week we're going to talk about stewardship. And as we talk about service today, what we're going to really kind of push in on is an aspect of that that I think is so critically important. And that is wanting the gospel to be planted in the lives of people all around us. Wanting people to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what has taken me to this particular passage. Because what this passage reminds us of are two things that are critical, absolutely critical to, to any of us and all of us. I think being faithful and being witnesses for Jesus Christ. And the two things are these, and I want to use some phraseology to help you to connect what I think Paul's talking about here, and they are these two things. Number one, we all are called to and all can talk to God about people. But then secondly, we can talk to people about God. Okay? Those are our, our points, that we can all talk to God about people. And we all can talk to people about God. Okay? All right, so let's, let's think through this a little bit. This whole notion of, of talking to God. And, and specifically talking to God about people. That's what we want to get at today. But talking to God is, is what? What is that? Yeah, that's right. Talking to God is, is prayer. It's obviously prayer. And we, we have the privilege of doing that. This is, this is another reason I chose this passage, because as a part of talking about vision, I want to make sure that we don't go through talking about vision without talking about the importance of prayer as a part of our vision. That we are called to be a, a, a praying people, and, and we're called to pray for the things that are going on in the life of the church. We should be praying for the vision of the church. We should be praying that God would, would bless our church. Well, if you notice in verse 2 of the passage, Paul gives us another one of those examples, those reminders of the importance of this, when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
And so the way he starts that out, continue steadfastly. That's, that's this idea of being persistent in prayer. And throughout the scriptures, we'll see these, these reminders over and over again that we are to, to, to always pray, that we are to pray without ceasing. In other words, we, we understand that we are in a relationship with God and that in that relationship, God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him through prayer, that we're always mindful of God's presence and the need for all of us to be diligent in consistently praying to God. Now, notice what Paul says here. As he talks about continue steadfastly in prayer, then he modifies that in, in a couple of ways by saying, first of all, being watchful in it, and then with thanksgiving. And those are some things that remind us of how we are to pray. Being watchful is this idea of being alert. And when we talk about being alert in prayer and being watchful in prayer, that means that we are, we are, we are mindful of the ways we are called to pray, that we want to pray according to God's will, that we want to know God's mind, we want to know God's desires. Uh, when I was at Pinelands Presbyterian Church south of here, we had a, a prayer summit one, one, one year. And we invited this man named Archie Parrish to come and do this prayer summit. And one of the ways that he talked about prayer that I think all of us need to remember is that we, we should have kingdom-oriented prayers. In other words, when we pray to God, it's not just simply about this, it was not about just selfish things that come to our minds and hearts, that we're praying according to the will of God, that we are alert to God's will. And I think watchfulness also means that we are alert to the things going on around us. And so we're alert to the needs in our community, in our city, in our world, and we're praying for those things that we are, we are, we are in some way sort of matching the will of God to the needs of the world, and we're praying according to that. Paul goes on to say that when we continue steadfastly in prayer, we pray with thanksgiving. That's expectancy, isn't it? It's, it's an acknowledgement that all that we have comes from him and that all that we pray for that will come from him. It's an acknowledgement of the grace of God. But it's also, when I say expectancy, there's a sense in which when we go to God in prayer and we're praying according to his will, that we are expecting God to hear an answer. So we're thankful. It's kind of like when you, when you send out a request to someone like an email or a letter or something like that, and you, you're wanting them to respond to it, and you say thanks in advance or something like that? That that's what we're doing here? That we're thankful to God because we know that God hears and answers prayers, and that it may not always be the way we want it. It may not always be in the time we want it. And in fact, that's actually a good thing because a lot of times we don't know what in the world we want. And if we got what we want all the times in the ways we wanted them, I don't know if it would always be best for us. But God hears and answers prayer. And so Paul says we are to be continually in prayer, being alert in prayer, being expectant in prayer. But he goes on and he says more. That not only are we to pray, but we're called to pray for people. Now, of course, when I, when I say that, then, then we're called to pray for the needs of one another. That's true. We're called to pray for family and friends and, and things going on in the life of the church. We did that today in the, in the pastoral prayer. We pay, prayed for people who are struggling with health issues. That's an important part of prayer. But Paul says something very specific in this passage that, that I want to put in front of you as a way to inform our praying. And that's what you see in verse 3 and 4. Notice what he goes on to say. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So when, when Paul is now calling them to, to pray, notice what he then says. 
He says, pray for us. So he's talking about himself. He's talking about Timothy. He's, he's talking about any others who were with him. But then look at the specifics of the prayer. Pray for us. Pray for people. We talk to God about people. He said, pray for us. To what end? That God may open to us the door of the word. That they may declare the mystery of Christ. That they may make the gospel clear. In other words, what Paul is calling them to, which is something I think should inform us as a church in terms of how we are to think and live, that we are to pray for the gospel to be proclaimed boldly and clearly to people. And that God would open hearts and minds for people to receive the gospel. All of that is a part of our prayer lives. Paul understood how absolutely critical prayer was for gospel proclamation. That we have to pray to that end. Robert Laws was a, a Scottish 18th, 19th, 20th, early 20th century Scottish Presbyterian missionary to Africa. It was used significantly in the advancement of the gospel in Africa, but also the advancement of the Presbyterian church in Africa. And, and, and if you ever go to parts of Africa, like Malawi and parts like that, you'll see, you'll see pictures of, of Robert Laws and, and most of their churches because of his, this, the significant influence he had. But Robert Laws said this about prayer. The prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. Think about that. The prayer is a means of getting God's will done on earth. That it is, it's, an, it's an instrument by which God accomplishes his purposes in the world through the prayers of his people. Paul, Paul understood that. He understood how critically important prayer was to the advancement of the gospel. And that's something that that all of us, I think, need to begin to understand more and more and more that we're praying for, for people. We're talking to God about people, the importance of prayer. You know, each of, of these sermons, I've, I've, what my goal has been in these sermons is to, is to build a biblical foundation for some of the things that we're talking about in our vision, to, to help you to to see that these aren't just these ideas that are just popping in a pastor's mind, that these are things that God wants for the church. And so I've spent a significant amount of time just sort of talking through what does the word say about this. But I've given you, because we do have a strategic plan, and each time I've given you a, a, a little hint or a little snippet of some things that we're thinking about. And, and, and so one of those things that I want to talk about in this regard in terms of outreach is, is it, it, for for us reaching out, I think one of the ways of doing that as a church, and we're going to talk about just evangelism more in a moment, but as a church is next year I want us to start what are going to be called uh, big invite days. And I want us to have four of these big invite days. And by big invite days, what, what I'm really getting at is that from four Sundays, and so we're doing it you know, often enough, but not so, not so that but we want it to be something significant. We want to mobilize all of you. Uh, and with resources and tools and all those kind of things to invite friends, neighbors, everybody. To invite them to come on these particular Sundays. And then we're going to be, we're, one of the things we're going to do on those days is, is make sure we're proclaiming the gospel, have wonderful opportunities for follow-up and anybody that comes that's a visitor that day. But part of the preparation for that, this is what I wanted to get at, the point I'm making. Part of the preparation for that is not only mobilizing you for inviting, 
but mobilizing you for praying for those who will come on those big invite Sundays. Praying that God would, would, would bring people who don't know him to Old Cutler. Praying that the gospel would be proclaimed clearly and boldly. Praying that God would open the hearts of, of people so that they would come to know him. Praying that we would be faithful in enfolding and following up with people that come into the life of the church. That we are praying for God's purposes in the hearts and lives of people. Some of you would know the name Brian. I think I mentioned Brian Chapel last week, actually. He was the president of Covenant Seminary when I went to school there. Brian Chapel tells this story of, of um, <clears throat> having a major leadership decision that he had to make. And, and as a part of that, he reached out to a, a pastor friend. And you, many of you will know this, this man. How many of you know Frank Barker? Frank Barker's preached here. If you've been here for a while, you probably, but yeah. Frank Barker was, the, was one of the founders of our denomination. And he was the founder of one of our denomination's largest churches called Briarwood Presbyterian Church in, in um, Birmingham, Alabama. And so Brian decided he needed to talk to, you know, a, a senior pastor in our denomination. So he went to, to, Briar, uh, he went to Birmingham to meet with Frank. And, uh, and they sat down together at lunch to talk. And, and as they were, were eating, Brian just spilled everything, just shared everything with him about this decision he had to make. And Frank just listened. And then after Brian was finished, he says, he says that he was ready for Frank to say something. And here's what Frank said. Before we, you know, Frank, Frank's a cool Alabama guy. Before we, before, we, before we talk about it, I think we need to pray about it. And so right there, they just prayed about it. Now think about that. Before we talk about it, we need to be praying about it. Okay? We need to be praying about it. I mean, think about evangelism. How often we just think it is the mechanics, just do, doing it, but we're not faithfully praying that God would, would work. Praying that God would work. So we need, to, we need to learn what that means. To talk to God about people. But then that does lead to the second thing that we need to talk about today. And you see that in this passage as well. That we need to talk to people about God. Okay? To talk to people about God. But it's, it's not just about our talk, is it? If you look at verse 5 again, Paul writes, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. That it's never just about our talk. It's always about our walk. It reminds us, I think, that all of us, we live before a watching world. That all of us live before, to be honest with you, a skeptical world and at times even a hostile world. But we are living as God's people, as witnesses in the world that is around us. That's true. It's true for all of us. Now, when we are to, to walk in wisdom, it, it doesn't mean we walk in perfection. It doesn't mean that. I mean, all of us are going to mess up. All of us are going to make mistakes. All of us are frail and weak. In fact, I, I honestly believe that it's a, it's a good thing when Christians, when, they, when they're willing to be honest about their struggles with unbelieving people, Right? And they, they, they tell them, I, I love Jesus, but I'm struggling with particular things. But walking in wisdom towards outsiders does mean this. It means that there is a sense in which you are, you are always, always living life just mindful of the opportunity to be 
a man or a woman for Christ there. That that's always what's driving you. And I will, I will say that there is something really wrong. Something's going on that's really wrong in our lives. If, if people will look at us in whatever circumstances they may find us in, it may be at work, it may be, it may be in, the, the, in the beauty salon or the, 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 the barber shop or grocery store, and, and, and when they see you, if they have any opportunity to interact with you, they see no difference in you than in a pagan. There's, there's something wrong there when that's the case. We're not going to have it all together. We're not. But, but knowing Jesus does mean that, that we're going we're to process in some ways differently. We're going to think differently. We're going to relate differently. We're going we're to treat our businesses and our practices in business differently. We're going to treat people differently because we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so what he's saying is be wise in your conduct towards outsiders, making good use of the time that God has given you, capitalizing on every chance to bring glory to God in those moments. It is, it is it's a life lived. But it's not just our walk. It is also our talk, isn't it? It has to be that as well. And so if you notice in verse 6, he, he says this, let your speech... Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now let's take that verse and just break it down. Let your speech, it's what you say, it's the proclamation of the word, it's the communication of God's word. Let your speech always be gracious. It's not saying that we are to compromise the gospel, we must not. It's not saying that we shouldn't be bold with the gospel. We should. But what this is reminding us of is that we are not to be condescending, demeaning, or judgmental when we're interacting with sinners who sin. We shouldn't be shocked by that, right? Sinners are going to sin. It's not our purpose to be judgmental. Our purpose to be, is to be gracious. And, and in that, you know, we, what we're, we're reminding ourselves of is that we, we mess up. We, we are broken. Now, attempting to minister to someone else that is, that is broken. I love this quote that says evangelism. You guys know this one. Evangelism is, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I, th- I think that's so right that we all are in need and we... We want people to, to know the, the one who has saved us, Jesus Christ. And so there is a graciousness. Seasoned with salt, he says, again, back in verse 6. It's flavored. That means that as we proclaim the gospel, it's, it's, it's not tedious, it's not dull, it's not boring. It's something that's alive and real. Now, let me speak to something that I think oftentimes gets in our minds and hearts that prevents us from being the kinds of of witnesses for Jesus that we could really be. Because oftentimes when we think about people who have the gift of evangelism, we end up almost treating the gift of evangelism like it is the gift of extroversion, right? Do you understand what I mean? Those of you who happen to know my father-in-law, I've talked about him all the time when I talk about evangelism because my father-in-law is an evangelist. Walford Thompson is an evangelist. He is gifted in evangelism. He has that spiritual gift. But my father-in-law is also, he is an extrovert beyond belief. 
I mean, it's just startling. I mean, one of our members, I won't say who it is, he will oftentimes speak of what he knows Walford really well. He's like, Walford could sell ice to an Eskimo. That's, that's Walford. I mean, he just, he could talk to anybody about anything at any time. Well, a lot of times when we look at that gift of extroversion, then we look at ourselves, we may be more introverted, we may be shy, we may be, we may be reserved, and we go, I could never be that. Well, like, I'm not asking you. The Bible doesn't ask you to be something that you're not. What this is saying, though, seasoned with salt, is this, that all of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's something powerful there, that he is, he is alive, he has saved us, and, and that cannot possibly, I don't care how introverted you are, that cannot possibly be boring. I was just away at, at this week, I was in Denver, and I was, I was speaking at a, a conference, and the conference is, I'll tell you a little bit about it, and I'm going to tell you what I did, and it's going to tie back into what, what he talks about here. The conference, we have a campus ministry in our denomination called Reform University Fellowship. And, and a number of the guys who do campus ministry Reform University Fellowship, after they do that for a period of time, they go on to plant local churches. And so a friend of mine that I've known since college, in fact, he served for a time here at Old Cutler, started this, this network called the Reform University Fellowship Church Planners Network. And every year for the last four years, they've had these conferences where they bring in more seasoned pastors who will come in and talk to these, these younger pastors about the, just the transition from campus ministry to, to congregational ministry, which is a pretty significant transition. And so this year, they asked me to come and to talk about preaching. And one of the things that I did in, in my, my talk to these men about preaching is as I use these three, these three Greek words, which I'm going to give them to you today, that are, are tools or elements of effective communication. And these three Greek words are, are logos, which is word, ethos, which is character, and pathos, which is passion. Okay. And it's interesting what, what Paul, Paul actually, he, he puts forth his, 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 uh, his ministry in that way, his communication of the gospel in that way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, we read these words from Paul. Our gospel came to you. This is what Paul is saying to them as he, as he came. Our gospel came to you not only in word, that's logos, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's pathos, passion, right? He goes on to say, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes. That's ethos, Right? Now, if you go back to Colossians chapter 4 and you think again what Paul says here about the communication of the gospel, he is saying the same thing to us. He says, walk in wisdom. That's ethos. That's character. That's living a life of character before a lost and dying world. He says, let your speech, the word of God, that's logos, that's the word. And then he says... Be gracious and seasoned with salt. What is that? That's pathos. That's passion. That's what he calls the church to. That's what, that's what it means to, to communicate the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have all of these as a part of that. Our lives live, our love for him, the way Jesus is grabbing our hearts, and then learning how to clearly communicate that word. And that's how this verse ends. Look at verse 6 again. He says, so that you may know 
how you ought to answer each person. There are two things there I want you to think about that you may know and answer each person. This means that a part of being a witness for Jesus is that we, we know the word. Part of being a witness for Jesus is that we can give a defense, that we can tell people about things we believe. Okay? And, and that's, a, that's a reason why, you know, as we, as we begin to implement our desire for outreach and evangelism, we're going to offer on a regular basis for you, and this is an encouragement to you when these are being offered, that you take advantage of them. If, you, if this is something that, that's new to you, if you haven't had an opportunity to do much training in evangelism, we're going to offer evangelism workshops, seminars, classes, and also classes in apologetics to help you to think through, how do I, how do, I do this? How do, I, how do I communicate the faith? What does it mean to defend the faith? And those are some things that are going to be rolled out, and we want to encourage you to be a part of it. And so I'm not just sitting here saying to a congregation, we want you to share the faith, and you go, well, I don't really know how. We want, and that may be true, but we want to provide ways. We want to equip you for, for doing that. But then the last part of that, he says, to answer each person. Each person. Which in my mind means that our, our evangelism has to be able to connect to real lives where people really are, to the things that they're, they're concerned about. Many of you have probably been trained in EE, and I have the greatest deal of respect for, for EE. And, uh, but EE is a model, it's a method. You, know, you just kind of go through, you learn this method, and you just sort of go through it. And, and even EE, is, as recently, I don't know if you know this, they begin to sort of make this more adaptable to actually minister to where people really are. But I remember, and this isn't, this isn't to say anything negative about EE when I say this, share this story, but I remember when, when I first learned EE, I was, I was in seminary, and, uh, and we had gone out after you learned the method of EE, of evangelism explosion, all the things you're supposed to say, then you, you go out and you, you have opportunities to, to, to do it with people out there that, you know, that don't know Jesus. And so, so I went out with a team, and there, were, there was one person who went out and that was before me and sharing, and they... They went through the meth and the whole thing. But then when, when it was my time, we ended up in the home of somebody that was, was a student in philosophy. And it, immediately, as, as soon as, as I started, they started raising all of these philosophical questions. Well, the, the good thing was I was a philosophy minor in college, and, and I was in seminary at the time, and I'd had a number of apologetics classes with Jerem Bars. And so guess what I did? I stopped doing EE, and I started talking to them about the very things that they were talking about to get the gospel to connect to them. See? That's what we, we want. And in all of this, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're fearful of this, please don't be. This, this isn't about you being something that you're not. This is about being you for Jesus. Being you for Jesus. Being equipped being prayerful, and taking those opportunities. And I honestly do believe this. I really do. And I've seen it over and over again. That if we're, just, if we're faithful in, in the places God takes us, where he has you, in the work, in your community, in your neighborhood, in those other places you may be, in school, if you're just faithful for Jesus there, the opportunities are going to come for you to have spiritual conversations with other people. It's just, it's going to happen. 
And I pray that God would, would help us to be courageous and bold and equipped so that we can tell people about the one that we love. Okay? I want to wrap up with this because one of the things Paul was wanting to do is he was wanting the Colossians to get this. He was wanting them to get it. He was wanting the gospel to spread. That's with all the New Testament. They want them to, to talk about and be a witness for Christ. Philip Schaff was a 19th century church historian. And in his history of the Christian church, he says this. While there were no professional missionaries devoting their whole life to this specific work, every congregation was a missionary society. And every Christian believer a missionary inflamed by the love of Christ to convert his fellow men. Every Christian told his neighbor, the laborer to his fellow laborer, the slave to his fellow slave, the servant to his master and mistress, the story of his conversion as a mariner tells the story of the rescue from shipwreck. We have been rescued. And we want other people to be rescued as well. And so we tell them. And so if, if we want to be the, the agents, this is what the vision is, the agents of truth, love, and service, making disciples of our city and world, then what has to be a part of that, what has to be a part of that, is that we talk to God about people. And we talk to people about God. Amen.